Well, welcome, welcome to the very first Creative Spark AI podcast episode, where I interview professionals who either uh, are using creative, uh, are using generative AI power tools, or are creating them for you to use them. I'm Marcelo Lewin. I'm very passionate uh, about generative AI. I'm also a user of generative generative AI power tools. That's a mouthful right there. If you want to get a hold of me, feel free to email me right there, marcelo at creativespark.ai. Um, also, quick reminder, if you want more podcasts, episodes, tutorials, live streams, blog articles, just a bunch of other content, all focus on generative AI power tools, uh, go check out creativespark.ai for more of those. Um, all right. With that said, today's guest um, is Adnan Yunus, he's uh, from Opus AI. And today we're gonna to be talking about uh, empowering storytellers to create video games. And you're gonna find out all about that in just a second. In fact, without further ado, let's get Adnan in. Adnan, welcome. Hi, uh, good to be nice, here. Nice to have you here. Um, I stumbled a little bit upon there at the intro. I had it all prepared and practiced, but you know, it's my first episode in this podcast. So I'm like, okay, it's all right. No worries. People are cool with that anyway. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So uh, thank you for being my first guest. I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, definitely. It's going to be a cool one. Let's talk a little bit about your background uh, before we jump into what you created. Tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get into uh, uh, technology and specifically how did you get into uh, AI and generative AI? Awesome. Um, definitely. Um, so my name is Adnan Yunus. Um, I am from Pakistan originally. Um, I was born there um, by profession or by training. I am uh, a, an electrical engineer. Um, so AI is definitely now like, you know, the hot new buzzword, but uh, we've, we've been kind of doing something along the line for a very long time. My, um, so let me get a little bit um, further where I started. So I started more in the hardcore um, system and infrastructure engineering. I was working for a company um, that was working with NASA. So one of my earliest projects was an operating system that uh, incidentally went into. So at that time, there were more like a, um, you know, things that people are working on. Um, um, so that um, operating system that I was working on actually went into your Hubble telescope. And later uh, we started working with um, another company that turned out to be Lockheed Martin. Um, the operation that I did work on actually get into your F-16 fighter jet. So that was the you know top of the technology at that time. So that's Man, my- you were hardcore in this stuff. I mean, you worked on the Hubble telescope. That's that's some pretty big stuff. Yeah, and uh, at that point, I never thought that, you know, it's gonna, you know, things are gonna go in this direction um, um, because, um, so, um, you know, there, there are quite of like, you know, interesting overlaps that happen, right? So my mom was a novelist. She's like hardcore, like, you know, used for romantic stories and, you know, these novels. And I grew up reading all that. But my own personal passion was never writing or got getting into more of the, uh, I would say, creative side, but more like, you know, I'm, I wanted to build the infrastructure part of things where creative people can do things. But uh, of course, anyway. Later on, like, you know, um, I moved to the, moved Canada. Uh, I've started working with this cool startup um, that were doing something that later turned into IoT. 
Um, and then a whole bunch of different big and small companies, including General Electric, uh, Yorickson, and uh, companies that basically, um, I would say, are kind of invisible to most people, but we all of us use things, right? Um, so with Ericsson, like, you know, I worked on something that now your 4G and 5G literally run around these huge boxes. Um, and uh, then we moved to the United States to the Bay Area. That was around eight, nine years ago. And I started working with this hot new startup that was building something um, strange um, for most people, right? Because most people didn't understand what it was. But um, I understood and, you know, we were very passionate about it because that was something we felt can really change the entire paradigm. And that goes back to where Silicon Valley started, started on, you know, building chips. Um, and if you don't know the history of that, it's basically or more like uh, the life cycle of it is that any chip that you use today, so the chip you're using in your laptop, typically takes around six to seven years before you see it and can use it yourself, right? Before that sort of testing, validation, uh, wafer, uh, you know, actual um, semiconductor stuff, right? And what we were doing at that point that we wanted to bring that six, seven years down to two months, right? We literally wanted wow, to- Wow, what a goal. Yeah, so we, because we thought that this is the, you know, so let's say that, you know, internet started around 30 years ago and now mm -hmm. we're like, you know, everybody's, you know, getting so much out of it. And the entire fabric of internet is built on semiconductor. So if you, we could bring this really down to two months, then you could see all this, like, you know, cool technology, including your, um, so now um, I'll go into it a little bit, but um, you could really see things accelerating at a very rapid pace, right? You know, things changing right. very, very fast. And uh, um, most of the people didn't understand it, but uh, then we went and pitched to uh, Raytheon, which is a defense contractor in the United mm -hmm. States. Yeah, yeah. So you probably know, right? They build all these cool laser, you know, mm -hmm. shoot down plane things. Big on defense and stuff. Very, uh, very cool stuff that they're working on. But they also, another thing that they work on is defense radars right and these right. are huge um almost like a building size radars that protect the entire hemisphere of united states mm -hmm. and we went to them and we we're like okay here's something we're building that can really help you do defensive technology you know faster right and they mm -hmm. at that point was uh, working with DARPA, which is again uh usaf a proxy agency that you know um I, you probably know, but for the audience, this is literally like, you know, your internet, your autonomous technology, your pretty anything cool, hot thing that you hear about, um, they touched graze on that. So um, autonomous technology was literally a DARPA project for five years before private industry took it and, you know, really ran with it. Internet was a DARPA project. So anyway, we went pitch to them and they were like, okay, this is something that we really need. So yeah. why don't you come? So we got picked up by DARPA. We worked on that technology uh, for around three, four years. And it's really like, you know, not changing the world, right? You know, if you hear about um, this term called neuromorphic computing, mm -hmm. that's yeah, yeah, what yeah, it is. neuromorphic computer, yep. So now mm -hmm. this is the rebranding of that, but that's literally what mm -hmm. we started working on, which is to make it that your uh, computers can, um, so they get, they're already faster than human mind, right? But what they can't do is actually think like humans. Right. And that's actually taking back to that layer where they can almost have that network of neurons that can think like humans. But at the and hardware level, as opposed to the software level, yeah. At the, yes, the, exactly. Uh, at the 
electronics level right literally exactly. electrical signals um, similar to human brain so sorry to human brain. very cool stuff uh, the startup was still doing so uh, that's you know, where you started getting into the ai and that's where i so, so that was more like you know we had a lot of conversation with the darpa with the raytheon with a whole bunch of other people who were in that field and we saw where that technology is actually going right where mm-hmm. we're going to end up being and what is the what is the now the bottleneck right you know if you automate the semiconductor construction and you bring it down to a point where you can build semiconductor in like you know 3 4 months time so we're not still there like you know that too much but we're pretty close like you know um, um but now what's the next thing that we really need to accelerate everything right now the next thing is at that point we realize is content and when i say right. content i talk about um 3D content or 4D content, right? Environments where you can take that neuromorphic computing uh, and train it like a human, right? Build right. it like a human because that's the other thing that um, you know the sophisticated intelligence system lack an environment where they can practice, where they can test new things, learn new things, and eventually, in my head, it's something that they can kind of start developing that personality mm-hmm. that all of us have. um as humans because we live in a physical world right computers don't live in a physical world so we need to give them that anyway um so that's where we were like okay you know i need to go and start doing working on that because this is going to become a hot thing and that's like back in 2010 2018 actually we started in 2018 starting uh, to figure this out how we're going to actually do it right and that's and this is the engine that you created that's now is known as opus ai right so yes. so let's jump a little bit into opus ai and tell us what is opus ai i mean we kind of gave it a hint by the title itself right uh, it's empowering uh, a sto- um, story uh, makers to to mm-hmm. storytellers right storytellers. To, to create games so explain yeah. a little bit behind that um and then i want to step uh, take a step back and set a baseline for our audience about ai in the gaming industry right um yeah definitely uh, so to continue the story literally you know, opus ai is basically um environment builder for intelligent machines right and incidentally it that environment is also used in gaming in uh movies to you know your all your cgi and everything right and we started um when we originally started we started more on the intelligent machine side because we came, want to take uh, robots or autonomous vehicles and put it in these environments so you could start seeing a tele- uh, intelligence machines much earlier right and we started with the uh, premises and we we started long ago before all that uh, uh, so we started with the premise that your um you should be able to describe what you want to see like and that's that goes back to my own i would say childhood where i read a lot of books and i still read a lot of books but that time like you know i was literally like you know, the kind of person who would take a stack of books and hide them in their bag and just read um that everything can be described by text right uh, literally like you know your uh, literal language and if you can make that the source of truth your environment building becomes much easier right because right now what we do um something different right we try to manually pick and drop things like we do in the physical world but if we make it that okay we're not doing it let the computer build the environment 
do the things that we humans are really good at, which is talking. Right, we're really good at talking. We're really good at describing things. So with that's natural what natural language with natural language. Right? Exactly right, because we're really good with like you know we can um, be sitting like you know across the world, but with a few words I can get into your head and you know really visualize a particular idea. And if we can make that that we're communicating with computers, so that's where we started. And when we went to a whole bunch of people and we say, okay, this is what I think is the future of content building will be they were like you're crazy right this is cool and you just know, to be clear you're talking about text prompts before they were known as text prompts i'm talking about 2018 right so that's what i'm saying is today yeah, yeah. we all know text prompts because of chat gpt and everything but you're talking about this is prior to that that you were already working on that and that's what the basis of opus ai is yes exactly so we were called crazy like you know like okay you're you know you're, what you're saying is like you know very cool gonna happen right you know not gonna happen in you know next 20 30 years because it can't be done right nobody has done it and so anyway we kind of like you know we're like okay you know let's go and see if it can be done right let's take something mm -hmm. and try to do something you know and we started um doing it literally right you know like okay let's take some tags and see what we can make um, make out of it right yeah and we incidentally didn't want uh, we didn't want something that you get, you know, so if you type something, uh, because we're talking about intelligent machine, we're not talking about um, text to image, right? Intelligent machine simply needs something that is predictable, right? Let's say that you're sitting there and suddenly your chair changed into a dining chair or something else. It wouldn't really, uh, your mind wouldn't really work with it, right? You wouldn't be uh, able to comprehend it. And similarly, if you're training machine, it needs to have similarly deterministic output, right? So we started with that. We um, failed up a lot, but we made it work. Um, and that was again, um, before the text prompt, before everything, right? And we, um, um, we're pretty proud of it that we did it way before um, we made it that, even now text prompt is you write something and what you're gonna get is not gonna be deterministic, right? It's gonna change with every single time you try. Uh, so what we have is more like it gives you Predictable output. Um, so that's what I'm saying. Sorry, um, you know. To no, it's okay. Off. And the nice thing is that we're actually going to jump into and, and check out a quick demo. Mm -hmm. um, but we're going to do that out right after. So, so we're at a point now where you are basically now you're the founder and CEO of Opus AI, and 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 at the end of the day, Opus AI is text gaming, right? It's the ability to describe the game world via text prompts as opposed to doing coding. Um, yes. So there's a lot of, unpacking that, there's a lot of questions there, right? Mm -hmm. We're gonna jump into those, but before we do that, what I wanna do is I wanna sort of say the base here for, for our, our audience and even myself as to describing AI in generalities as it in the context of gaming, right? Mm -hmm. So why don't we start by, I mean, pretty much everybody knows this, so we can do a quick definition of this, but what do you consider to be generative AI? Great question. Um, so to, um, to me, generative AI would be um, any kind of intelligent system that can create a complex set of output by limited 
human-like parameters, right? So that that's I, I think a, a very technical definition uh, to put it in more simpler terms would be like you know if you give it something simple as text, it should be able to give a complex output such as a um, an image, um, um, an environment, or you know uh, hopefully in the future much more complex that you know an entire right. pre-built house, right? So that's I think. Uh, would be gener- generative uh, AI to me at least. Yeah, yeah. So the the so at the end of the day, the ability to use natural language processing, right, to to get whatever you want out of the computer, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe like you know, a slight uh, thing change for that would be that okay, you want to let's say change your voice into a different voice. Maybe you want to talk like I don't know Steve Jobs, right? So that would still I think fall under the generative AI, um, even though what you're saying, um, so what the input you're Even though what you're saying is yours, it's still generating kind of new content, right? I get it, right? Yeah, Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So um, since obviously your your engine works for for games, um, how, besides that, how is generative AI being used in the gaming industry? I mean, if you have some examples of, of games that are either using it or companies using it, and how are they using it? Of course. Um, um, so, I mean, ge- generative AI, again, is a new terminology we're using for something that has been used, I guess. Um, so we can, we can, you know, now we go back and we can actually relabel or rebrand a lot of things that otherwise wouldn't be considered generative AI, right? So to give an example, one of the, uh, you know, last year's major hit and slightly miss was your Cyberpunk 2077, uh, right? Um, you may have heard of it or may have run across poster, but if you have, like, you know, definitely if you have kids, like, you know, they must have uh, read about it. But this is it was a pretty big mega blockbuster. It, uh, uh, you know, um, it's... Uh, I think uh, around $200 million game. So pretty big game, right? Now, the with games, one of the biggest problem usually is that uh, you have to dub in different languages. And when you dub it, you know, you have to change the, um, your lip sync to that particular language, right? Right. So they didn't do it. They just did it in uh, one language and then they used uh, generative AI to Two. Resync, re-lip sync, and that's a lot of work. Like so, it literally takes like you know every time you read a bit, it takes around anywhere from a month. And it was a huge game, so it in that their case it would have taken like six months or so for every single line. So they didn't. Not really to mention it. the cost, right, of of hiring all those different kinds of people with different languages and cultures and all that too, right? You still have to. So in their case, they didn't generate the audio, but they did generate. Is the lip sync part right? So you still, for the audio. Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah. So because audio wise, um, I mean, you can do it. I'm not saying, and we're doing yeah. exactly that. We're generating the audio, um, but in their case, like you know, that's an example that uh, cut major cost uh, before even the generative AI. Well, started. the animation costs are involved in that manual animation. A lot of, right? of costs. Right? Yeah, right. and that that is a um, you know. Um, that's a problem with the, uh, you know, I would say the typical gaming workflow because animation is very expensive. It takes a lot of time, and that really helped them, you know, bring the game to market in a timely manner in all the languages that they wanted. So, what about um, like uh, generative uh, 
images, even audio. Um, and how also is this affecting developers in the gaming industry? Or is it? it so currently, I would say a lot of people are experimenting with it. Um, one field that it is already impacting um, people is your texture generation, um, which is that basically you have 3D objects, but 3D objects need to have you know kind of you know these faces, which is uh, so they can look like real to us, right? And that's right. like texture. Typically, you go and take a camera and you take pictures, and then you come back and you edit it and you know uh, manually align it and do a whole bunch of th things uh, to actually make it work. So there. Generative AI is already impacting because now you can type that, okay, I need a grass texture or I need a, um, you know, a brick texture or I, I need a, uh, you know, a plaster which is slightly peeled off and it's going to give you the texture. And that's a lot of money and time that is saved right there, right? Now, um, in case of AAA studios, they are still not doing it because they already have a very good and very broad texture library. So that's really not a big thing for them, right? They, they don't need that. Uh, but your indie developers, literally people who are like, you know, one or two right. studios for them. Your freelancers. Yeah. yeah, it's a very big deal. They can do it very fast. They can, uh, you know, get their product to market much faster. So big deal there. Animation wise, it's still kind of a researchy thing. So um, I don't see a lot of progress there yet. Um, but uh, I see quite a lot of cool things that uh, being is being tried. So we're hopeful that you know even um, outside of what we're doing, we're going to see a lot of progress. And as it happens, you know more of more uh, more and more uh, people. You're going to see I would say a lot of a lot more diversity in terms of the content that you see. And what about for NPCs, like developing a backstory for them, even having them speak dynamically, right? Not even pre-written, having them react to a situation. Is that being used today with AI or? Uh, it's a complicated, um, I would say it's, so for that, we'll have to dive a little bit into how games are typically made, right? So there are two types of games, right? Uh, your linear games and your dynamic games, right? Like Skyrim is a more like a mixed linear mix with dynamism, which means that you have an open world, you can ignore the main story and start and, you know, go do whatever. But then on the other side, you have linear games such as, I would say, Bioshock. Uh, um, so those games um, already have a predefined story, right? Now, in that particular story, there's only certain context of type of dialogue that you can fit in. Um, I'm not aware of a AAA game who has used, um, I would say, random dialogue or like, you know, uh, I would say generative AI dialogue creation in production yet. That is not to say that people are not trying different things. It's just simply that doing that can lead to, I would say, kind of production that is not, um, doesn't have the kind of control that your high-end studios are used to, right? They may not be able to give that exact experience that they want people. Or consistency across the game. Yes, because um, um, that's that's the thing with generative AI, right? You know, it's still very new. There are a lot of things that are not quite clear. And while um, they want to try it, you know, uh, it's hard to just put it in production. One thing that's consistent is in two weeks, it'll change. Yes, that's the only <laughs> consistency, right? 
and uh, when you're but, spending... but that's the beautiful thing about it right we're really at the beginning here that means it's only going to get better if you're excited about what's happening today imagine what it's going to be a year from now yes it's uh, it's beautiful it's scary it's exciting um and if you're running a big like you know multi-billion dollar business then it's also something that you want to be very careful about right so that's the thing um that makes them slightly less agile in experimenting yeah definitely uh, well, very cool. Um, what I'd love to do now is um, jump into a, a quick demo. But before we do that, I, I want to you, you talk about empowering storytellers. I have a couple more questions, then we'll jump in and we'll check out the, mm -hmm. the demo. But define what do you mean by storytellers? Who's a storyteller? Because I got stories that I can tell you, but they're going to bore you. <laughs> um, so you are a storyteller to me um, and every single person on planet Earth, um, from a child to, um, I would say, our grandparents, uh, everybody's a storyteller, even people who are no longer with us and haven't been with us for, I would say, centuries. They're still storytellers. And the reason I say it is that when you pick up an old Egyptian hieroglyph, uh, that still has stories that not everybody will be able to imagine or visualize except you know if you're in archaeology then you'll be like oh this is how they um you know work or this is how they interact at all so all of these are stories right and all of those stories are worth exploring right so we're not going that far to the egyptian decoding the egyptian hieroglyph yet but what i'm saying is that um let's see um when you're running, um, you know, let's say you're a major Hollywood studio or if you're a major uh, gaming uh, studio, right? Uh, there are certain financial and stockholder related constraints that you can't produce, right? Which means that simply you're not going to go in on an experimental uh, side and do something, right? So to put it in context, um, I think there is a lot of diversity, a lot of variety, a lot of stories that are untold in different cultures around the world. Um, Unfortunately, what we see in the mainstream media is very, I would say, cookie cutter stories, right? With a slight variation right. over and over. The same Christmas, uh, I would say, movies, the same, you know, uh, right. blockbuster games and rehashing all the, the same storyline. Yeah. And I understand why, right? The, the, the reason is that, of course, it's expensive. It takes a lot of time, a lot of work. You don't want to experiment too much, break something that is working, right? And that's where generative AI really changes the paradigm, right? Because if you can reduce a $100 million game to a $100,000 game, right? Then you can experiment a lot. Then you can afford to do a lot of different things. And if it fails, it fails, not a big deal, right? You can go back and say, okay, I'm going to do it again, right? Because at that time, you can do it 100 times and still win. You can still generate enough revenue. And that's what... Um, that's what the goal here is to make it that anybody without having, I would say a lot of money, a lot of uh, time, um, produce interesting content that people can go, um, and comment on maybe even watch being produced in real time. And then, you know, uh, up changes and adjust it accordingly, what people like, what works, et cetera. Right. So make it more agile, much, uh, much quicker. In, in essence is democratizing 
video game production for everybody, right? I don't so, want to say that word, but that's exactly what we want, right? Every single person who has a story to tell. Bringing the barrier there to entry down. Technical constraints, uh, financial constraints, time constraints, right? So if you, let's say you're doing an art job, I don't know, at McDonald's, right? you still gather a lot of experience, a lot of stories that you can tell, right? But you're not mm -hmm. gonna have time to come back and tell anybody except your close friends. What if you can? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, now I can hear the bells going off and ringing and everybody going panicking. I'm a developer, a video game developer. I'm no longer needed because now somebody can go in and start typing away and now they create. Uh, is that true? I mean, I mean, I personally don't think so, but. I'd love to hear from the real pro here. Um, let's see. So I would say that if you are really tied into your own um, small piece of the thing you're doing, so let's say that, you know, to go into, given another analogy, right? Let's say that if you were a, um, a bricklayer, right? In the old construction industry, let's say that you were doing, you know, brick by brick and brick by brick, right? And suddenly a machine comes that can lay bricks like, you know, a hundred times faster than you. Yes, you're going to go out of job because you're going to say that, oh, but then again, you don't have to. You can become the operator of the bricklaying machine. You still have a lot of uh, things to contribute because of your own experience in the industry, right? So so there's, I don't think there's anything to panic about. Um, if you keep your mind open, stay curious and are willing to do a lot more, be a lot more productive, right? Um, if you say, no, I just want things to remain as they are, then unfortunately, yes, um, they it is won't. going to. They and won't. They because won't stay. Things will change, right? You can't you can't stop progress, right? No amount of uh, wishing is going to do that. Continuous learning is the name of the game. Absolutely. So I think it's an exciting time. Um, just like, you know, keep your mind open and you're going to, you know, what do you know, like, you know, tomorrow you may have like, you know, instead of uh, having, you know, one game per year, you may have like, you know, a thousand titles in a year, right? Right. And millions of people playing it. And uh, so, yeah. Well, it, the beautiful thing about that is it allows you to fail much more often so you can learn and succeed right. percentage-wise more. Right, right. Right. And to us, it's, uh, it's about... Um, Exactly that. Creating enough content that we don't have to, um, we don't have to worry about the financial constraint that you know uh, you can only have this kind of. Uh, so I think I think it's it's a, it's a beautiful, um, beautiful ability that we are being given. Um, we should not uh, um, because you're going to be on the wrong side of history if you if you um, fight it. Very well said. Very well said. All right, let's go ahead and uh, bring it up. I'm, I, I've got your, uh, I've got Opus here set up. If maybe you could resize the window a little bit so it's a little bit taller. I don't know if you can or if you already have it maximized. That's fine. Um, it's. Uh, it's maximized I, already, so we're good. That's fine. I don't want to increase it too much because what's going to happen is that uh, you may not get the clear. Well, and we want to we want to tell people here too. One thing is that um, you're not live yet. You're not in production yet, right? Mm -hmm. And no. so this is beta software we're working. So like in every demo that we've seen a million times over, things may break and may not work. So keep that in mind. But with that yeah. said, um, so Opus AI allows us to, via text prompts to create worlds basically and games and interconnect them and have people play them. 
We're not going to be creating an entire video game here from scratch. We just want to see a little bit of the experience. So I'm going to let you um, guide us through and just show us a little bit of the concept of text prompting to video game world. Absolutely. Um, so the general idea is uh, to be able to um, describe a story. Um, so text prompting is a new concept or a new thing. We, when we started, we actually went uh, slightly further and we said that we wanted to take literary language, which is basically something that your um, your writers write, right? Uh, kind of a romantic language and describe that, right? So te text prompt uh, is more, I guess, uh, um, constrained in a way. It has a particular syntax and certain keywords you have to use to produce predictable output. So in our case, what you're gonna see is a very simple, very, very straightforward language. So this is, a, um, if you can, you know, uh, on this window, you can see what it generally, the environment looks like, not the environment, but more like the interface looks like. Right. You have a dashboard where you have a, a whole bunch of different projects, and then you have a whole bunch of templates that you can use to get started quickly, right? And uh, um, you just start by um, doing a new project and you say, okay, let's let's start from scratch in this case, right? And uh, what you see is a kind of an editor view. Um, and this editor view is blank right now because uh, we haven't done that yet, anything yet, right? So it's a new world and it's saying, okay, you know, let's get started. Um, so I'm gonna start with something so we can um, see enough stuff uh, within this limited time. So I'm gonna say, okay, um, it was a hilly area, right? Right now it's like- It does predictive flat. as well. Right. So in this case, what it's gonna do is can actually go and generate something that looks silly, right? Right now you don't see much, but you see that the entire kind of uh, dynamic chain, right? And it's uh, a bit, uh, quite, a, quite a lot of hilly, like, you know, going up and down. Yeah. Uh, and let's try to put some things on it so we can actually um, visualize it. So I'm gonna say, okay, it was, it was um, a spring day, right? Um, and in this case, it's going to go and it's going to actually change the texture, apply a whole bunch of things that look like spring. <laughs> so you see grass yeah. and other things, right? So in this case, it's actually a bit too steep for me. So I'm going to say, no, I don't want this. Rather, I want it is to be slightly hilly, right? I don't want extremely hilly, right? So, so it's a little flatter now. Yep. Yeah, it's going to, I think, uh, so... It went back because I, when I was typing slightly, it actually went back and did it. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, but now it's like, you know, slightly less silly than it needs to be, right? So and then now I'm going to go and say, okay, you know, um, instead of day, maybe I want it to be evening or maybe I want it to be, I don't know. So you can see the shadow and everything is changing, but oh, I can yeah, make it yeah. completely <laughs> night. And now you'll see stars and uh, you're going to see... Can we, uh, I mean, I don't know if I can jump in and I don't want to throw off your demo yeah. here, but can we say the moon was shining bright? The moon is already there and it's going to be move, moving. Um, um, so what it. it, because it's it's, uh, it's aimed at games. So what it does is it actually generates, a, um, and I'm going to dive into that particular thing, but let me give you a little bit of a glimpse of what I mean by that, right? Mm -hmm. So in this case, you can actually ah. see the moon right there. Yeah, there you so go. So you have your moon um, already. Because it's are, a 3D world, right? It's a 3D world, and you um, later we'll walk around and we'll try to um, explore it, right? So right now I'm going to change it from night to day again. So let's make it afternoon, right? So um, depending on what I say, it's going to actually change the entire... Um, 
thing. So afternoon, so right in the middle of the sky, right? Your sun is in the middle of the sky. So let's say, you know, there was a, a tree, right? So I'm going with very simple um, ideas because what I want to do is actually um, give you an idea how to get started on it. So now you see a generic tree that popped up um, and uh, you can say that, okay, I don't want this particular tree. Maybe I want a different tree, right? So maybe I want a palm tree, right? Or maybe I want a, so let's see. I'm going to change the camera direction a bit so you can see there's a palm tree right there, right? So maybe I want a spruce tree and so on and on. So you can change um, and it's going to go and build a particular type of tree uh, for you, right? Um, Even if we stop the demo here and we end it, this is extremely powerful. I mean, the ability that I, I don't know anything about 3D. Personally, I don't know anything about 3D, but I can start defining my world. Uh -huh. But I'm, I could be, let's say, a very good storyteller. I could start defining my world. And I think this is where, and I'm actually going to have a podcast on this, but uh, knowing how to write these prompts, under knowing how to use natural language properly is going to uh -huh. help a lot of people, right? Absolutely. And I think it's the super cool thing about this is that you're not learning a specialized thing that you're not going to use anywhere else, right? You're just learning how to right. write, which is awesome, right? Because, I mean, that's what you want everybody to be good at. Um, and let's, um, let me uh, go back a little bit. So if I delete everything, then it goes back to, again, blank. But I, let's say I'm going to bring it back. Now it's going to actually um, recreate everything from scratch and that particular thing that it creates it's not going to be very different uh, from what was there before okay hold on something went wrong so i'm gonna try we, to... we know that like i mentioned at the beginning it's a demo it's beta it's still in work in progress so okay so we'll try it again okay so maybe we'll have to get started slightly back. Okay, let's see. Sorry about that. That's okay. That's like like we said, it's still beta and um, there's absolutely that's the way it goes with this technology right now. Mm -hmm. Okay. Maybe we add another text right now to it and see. Yeah. Okay. It was... There we go. Let's see. Let's add a palm tree. And so it's kind see. of recreating what it was before. So to, to keep consistency. Right. Right. That was, let's, let's try something, adding something more. Right, uh, I don't want to press the time too much. So let's let's try doing a whole bunch of things, and then we'll walk towards. Yeah, so go ahead and write a whole bunch because we got only about five minutes left. So yeah, so let's see. So now what's gonna do is actually gonna go back and uh, create a female character. And there you are. So let's try to say something. So let's say that she was uh, wearing a red dress right or maybe oops 
So it's actually a 3D world that you can go to. Mm -hmm. All right. There you go. Yeah, my uh, capitalization was slightly off. So what happens is that if you capitalize him, then it doesn't quite uh, mm -hmm. believe that you're writing a uh, normal language. It thinks that you're writing a pronoun. So let's try to make Well, and I'm right. sure as this technology develops, it's going to become more natural, just like when we're writing in a word processor. Mm -hmm. um, so let's see. Let's try um, blue jeans and uh, red shirt, right? And let's see, she had dark hair. So. Oh, yeah, there you go. So all of this, is this happening um, on the cloud or is this happening locally on the machine that the user would, the, the storyteller would be running this app on? How, would, how does that work? Um, good question. So everything happens on the cloud, uh, entire okay. rendering. The 3D environment, everything is being done on the cloud. If you have uh, used some of the other uh, cloud-based uh, gaming services, it's pretty similar in that regard, um, which means that you can actually run it on a very low power device on your phone, your tablet, or whatever else you have. And that's going to um, work. Um, and in incidentally, if you want to stream it to other people, they can join in and they can start giving you advice and everything, right? Oh, I see. So collaboration between yes. developers or storytellers. Yes. So, um, or even let's like, show, you know, let, I'm sorry, Adnan, go ahead, finish your thought. Um, I'm just going to do something more. Yeah. Let's uh, give it one more example. And then we're going to have to, unfortunately, it's getting close to the end of the podcast. We're going to have to close it up. Let's see. And of course, we didn't have enough time to show everything that you could do, right? But, you know, give it life to the character, have it speak and all that. That's obviously something that that, that right. we don't have time to show here right now. Okay, so let's try it now. You can okay. see the shadows. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm... What, what was I'm the sure. text prompt you used for um, that? So this is, uh, I think the streaming thing is freezing it up a little bit. So let's see. But the text prompt I used that she ran behind the tree and they sat there, right? So I think what happened is that for some reason, okay, she's back. So let's go back and see that she's actually doing that exactly what we asked her. Sitting so she's behind not the tree. Sitting behind the tree, right? And it's going to reset if you... She ran uh, behind the tree. She. So instead of sat, I'll say, okay, she lay there, right? And instead of running, she walked behind the tree. So again, if I go into explore mode, mm -hmm. now she's going to slowly walk there and she's going to sit there. Uh, actually, she's going to lie down. She's going to stand. Yeah. Yeah. Because you told her to stand. No, she's going to lie down. Oh, 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 lay. That's right. There. I said lay down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So okay. you can see that. Yeah. So. And you got the shadows going. You got the palm tree like you defined it. Mm -hmm. And if you see this, um, so um, if you see, let's let's walk there so you can see. So this is again uh, designed for actual game production, right? Which basically means that you, when you're defining things, um, they happen in the way that you want them to, right? So this mm -hmm. camera that you see, do you see the camera? Mm -hmm. So that camera is a starting point. So anything that you're writing is actually relative to 
to that, that point of view. That point of view. So as with writing, you know, it's gonna just keep on happening relative to that. If you can say, so, um, you know, she was in front of the tree, she's gonna appear in front of the tree rather than the behind the tree as she's there right now. Right. Or you say that, you know, there's a, I don't know, uh, let's try it. There is a tear beside her. Um, again, that's gonna happen. Uh, the way so now I think it's gonna go back and do a little bit of time because it's gonna bring out our, our deer um, mm -hmm. and because of streaming software okay there we go there, there we is go. our deer yeah. right so uh, but um, it's gonna happen orderly so you can um, you know shift the order around and yeah um, all right that's awesome stuff. That's really awesome. And, and I really appreciate you demoing that. Obviously, like we said, it's 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 beta software. We're at the beginning, not at the end here. So expect mm -hmm. a lot more. Obviously, we haven't touched upon giving them uh, intelligence, uh, ability to speak, ability to react. I'm assuming you're working on adding all that kind of functionality via text prompts, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, this was really good. Thank you so much for showing this. Um, to, to sort of finalize uh, this whole thing is, um, what do you see as the future here for generative AI in the gaming industry? I think we're, um, we're you know, scratching the surface right now. What we're doing um, is reimagining how content production, especially games are done, right? So right now the current state is that you wait for a game to come out for years, right? So what we see is more of a collaborative, democratic way that people can come in, just like you know Twitch or um, YouTube change the streaming industry, right? So no more content production in you know uh, right. years of works, and but rather that you know people are just coming online and they're just you know jumping in, and everybody's like you know giving them. So that's what we see happening here which is that you're producing game, but other people are joining in, giving you input, bringing in their own ideas and, you know, making it a collaborative, democratic um, process and really turning it into on um, that, you know, anytime you're bored, anytime you want to like, you know, uh, you can just uh, go online and find really cool new stories being made, being played, being altered and a whole bunch of crazy things that we even we haven't thought of yet right so for a game developer just getting into it now into development what yeah. advice do you have for them keep curious uh, i would say that you know things are changing very fast uh keep your mind open don't take it for granted that you know there is a particular um especially when you're um you know because Frank, so one of the things with all these cool technologies that your your education is much further behind, right? Uh, which means that while, you know, I'm not going to say that don't go and, you know, do art school or don't go to, um, but... But augment keep, it with external... Keep learning. in mind to try to learn, like, you know, the more core things and then, um, um, you know, take the tools that are coming out and use them uh, rather than say that I'm gonna just try to. Right. So that's uh, that's something that is gonna change for all of us, and it's gonna change very fast, which means that we have to be ready for that uh, yeah. disruption and uh, be more um, willing than you know repelling of it. The only consistent is change in this industry. So yeah, get yeah. used and to that. All right. It can, and then, 
Sorry, go ahead. Finish your thought. I was just going to say that, yeah, that's the only thing and it's getting, it's accelerating, right? So the more of, um, I guess, like crazy people like me, like, you know, bring to the table, what's going to happen is that it's going to just accelerate. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just, just, uh, just uh, buckle your seatbelt. It's going to be wild, That's right? what makes it exciting, man. That's what makes it exciting. It was a, a pleasure speaking with you. If people want to get a hold of you, that email you have right there, the best place? Absolutely. Yeah. That's the email that Ayrnan uh, at opus.ai. And Marcelo, thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you for, you know, the excellent talk and, uh, uh, you know. Definitely. It was fun having you here. Thank you so much. And thanks uh, to the rest of you for watching the very first episode of the Creative Spark.ai podcast. I'm glad I got that out of the way, the second, third, and fourth will be much, much smoother. Again, thank you to Adnan for being my guinea pig on the first one. He did great. I really appreciate it. And remember to go to Creative Spark AI for more podcast episodes, tutorials, live streams, blog articles, and tons more as, as my time permits. Everything focused on generative AI. Uh, power tools and how you can use them to deliver your projects quicker. And as always, if you want to get a hold of me right there, Marcelo at creativespark.ai. So we'll see you on the next episode. Have a great one, everybody. Uh-huh.